and you can turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles, or, um, or I, yeah, it's not printed, so go ahead and remain standing for the authority of God's Word. Uh, if you see in your worship guide, there is a little paragraph in bold. We would like to say that after the reading of God's Word. So this is God's Word according to Luke chapter 10. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace, to be, the, peace be to this house. And if the son of, of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God is near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your ta town that clings to our feet wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then in verse 17, they came back and the 72 returned with joy. And so God's people say back to the authority of God's word. Amen. It will stand forever. Go ahead and grab a seat. So it is Mother's Day. Uh, it would be wrong not to say anything about our mothers. Uh, they play a special part in our lives. And it is great to honor all of you um, who find this role as motherhood. And we just want you to know that motherhood is a grace to God's church and God's people and to the world. And so for all of us, we say thank you. Uh, but perhaps in here, there are a few moms um, that are grieving this morning. Uh, some of you have wayward children, and uh, these children of yours actually are breaking your heart rather than bringing you joy. Um, some of you have lost a mother in this year, and so you walk in to a day like this, and all you can remember is your mom. Um, some of you in here are struggling with infertility. And so the only thing that you want is to be a mom. But for whatever reason, God hasn't done it. So today we want to celebrate motherhood and just cheer on the mothers in here. But also for those who are grieving, we want you to be seen and heard and, and, and prayed for. And so happy Mother's Day. Let's celebrate moms everyone where, but also know that this is a tough day. So Matthew, or sorry, Matthew, that's off. We were off to a great start. Uh, Luke chapter 10, everyone. That's a great passage. I mean, it fits really well with Bruce's report in, uh, in Brazil. And so I'm excited about just being on the cusp of that. So what if I was to tell you that um, you had the power to go into any community, into any context, and to be, bring great change and peace and healing into that community? What would you say back to me? 
that you had the power to go into a community, to bring change, to bring peace, to actually bring healing into that community. Most of us don't see that that is on us or we don't feel the power that we have the ability to do just that. About 10 years ago, podcast went everywhere. And with the podcast world, you get all of these niche markets. And the most popular back 10 years ago were these journalist term crime fighters. Have anybody heard any of these, uh, these podcasts? They're amazing. So there's probably some deadbeat journalist who couldn't find a job. They're like, well, let's do a podcast, but let's do these podcast about crime fighting, meaning they'll go into a scenario where someone was proven guilty or something like that, but with their investigative vigor, they would be able to overturn the case. And so over 10 or 12 episodes, over and over, these criminals were actually found not guilty instead of guilty, and it was amazing. And so what these podcasters were doing is using their influence being able to walk into some kind of situation to bring about both healing and change and peace. If it can be true of deadbeat podcasters and journalists, why couldn't it be the same for you and me? If you're wondering what Matthew, or Matthew, here we go again, Luke chapter 10. Let's turn to Matthew 10 and see what's there. Uh, Luke chapter 10, that's what's it about. You and I understanding the mission of God and being sent out with boldness. If you remember chapter 9, there was something similar. In chapter 9, Jesus doesn't have uh, disciples. Instead, he's gone ahead and he's appointed 12 of them specifically and called them apostles. And just one chapter ago in chapter 9, he then sends out the 12 and tells them to go out and take nothing and go out with the words of the kingdom and also healing. Sounds very familiar to the passage that we just read, right? So here we are in just one chapter, chapter 10. And here we have the exact same message. The only thing that's changed, though, is that the 12 has become 72. This is a picture of multiplication. For the first eight chapters, all you see is Jesus going into these scenarios and preaching the kingdom of God and healing people. But then he does something different in chapter 9. He gives that power away to other people, and that's called the 12, the 12 apostles. He does something even more bold here in chapter 10. He then distinguishes the, the 12 and saying that I'm going to actually make it more generic. And he expands it to 72 people. Multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. That is what we are about. This growth is exponential. You actually see it beginning to multiply. So two by two being able to send out 72 people, two by two, and being able to send them out to every time and pl- town and place where he was himself was about to go. So here's the picture that Luke is wanting to tell us, is that now the 12 has been multiplied to 72, and they're going out in front of Jesus. They leave him behind. And they send them to all of these towns and these places, all of these communities of influence. And I want you to go and do some things. But I actually want you to go ahead of me. Meaning the picture is that they are going to go do some plowing, right? They're going to go and do some heavy lifting, some labor, some work. Because he is going to come in behind them with the same message of both healing and the proclamation of the kingdom. 
this thing is expanding. So the point of this one, uh, uh, 10 verse 1 is this, is that you and I can discount kingdom work if we were to stop in chapter 9. Because how many of us can be called apostles? Well, we can't. None of us can. There were only 12 of them. And it stopped in the first century. And so we kind of shrug and say, well, that must have been for them. But here in chapter 10, something else happens. He gives it to a crowd of people. He gives them to the disciples and says, I want you to do exactly what the 12 have done. I want you to go. Chapter 10. And this is a unique passage to only Luke. You will not find it in Matthew and, and John and, uh, and, and Mark. Instead, you have something unique because Luke is trying to tell us that this is the mission of the church. It's not just the mission of Jesus. It's not just the mission of the 12. This is the mission of the church. What is your purpose in life? Fill in the blank. Be a great mom, be a great dad, be a great businessman. In chapter 10, Luke tells us, you have a mission at place, and it really is to feel sent. The reason you showed up today, whether you like it or not, whether you knew it or not, was we want you to feel sent. We want you to feel emboldened to not just sit here, but to go out there. Because there are communities that you are a part of. There are job sites that you are a part of. There are family members out there, towns and villages, contexts in which you inhabit that need the gospel message over and over and over. It's not just about the apostles. It's about all of us who call Jesus, Jesus. And so what do they do? They go out in word and deed. In the very similar way of chapter 9 is they go and proclaim the kingdom and they go and they, they do healing. And so this idea of, of healing ministry and proclamation, those two things go hand in hand. The same with Jesus in the first eight chapters. The same with the apostles in chapter 9 and here in chapter 10. This proclamation and this mercy ministry, they go hand in hand together, word and deed. And whether they are healing or whether they're proclaiming, they're saying this, the kingdom of God is near. And so how are they able to say that with such boldness? Because the kingdom needs a king. And who is the king? The king is Jesus himself, and he was about to show up. And so they were preparing the place for the king to come. They were plowing a field. They were getting the field ready for the king himself to come in both word and deed, both proclamation and mercy ministry being able to come about. It is interesting that mercy ministry oftentimes uh, precedes proclamation, this idea of, of healing. Or this words of helps, or being able to help someone else actually comes before the proclamation is heard. And we can't get rid of either. You can't only be a good Samaritan and never say anything. Neither can you be only a jerk evangelist and never do anything for your neighbor. They actually go really well together. And so when you see this passage, both in Jesus and the 12 and the 72, he puts these two together saying, Healing and then proclamation are really wonderful. The forerunner of proclamation often is 
our good deeds, our mercy ministry, walking alongside others. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Eric. Now, uh, Eric stole my glasses, all right? And so um, they were Ray-Ban, so I got them back. Um, but uh, this, he was cool. <laughs> he was a little bit of... Um, a nuisance, let's just say, but he was my favorite at the same time. I saw myself in Eric. And so anyway, he would never listen. He was always disruptive. Everybody was having to call him down. It was just, it was, it was interesting. Well, what I didn't know is that I knew his family. Because a year before this trip, this is in Honduras, before, a year before this, uh, this trip, we as a community of believers, we were gathered in a spot like this, and our ministry team came up to, our missions team came up to us and said, hey, today we would like to pray specifically for a man in Arabu. He's actually fallen off of a ladder and he's broken his hip and this is his only vocation. That's all he can do is paint. And he won't be able to climb ladders and so both he and his family are in great jeopardy. He's on his way to the hospital. Let's pray. And so normally we don't do those types of things but it was with such urgency and passion that we paused and we prayed for someone we didn't know. Well, a year later, I run into this mischievous little boy well, six, eight, ten hours later, I find myself in a little hut, a little home, dirt floors, one, one uh, bulb of electricity, and this was Eric's house. And Eric's father was that man who fell off the ladder. And, he, and a year later, he continues to tell a story that blew our minds. Um, Eric's father was not much of a quality of a man. Um, he would drop out of of work. He would not show up. He was not very faithful to his wife. He was just not a great. But something happened that day that really it shut his world down because his source of income. Well, our missionary there on property wanted him to know that there are people all over praying for him. And a year later, not walking with Jesus fully, but his father was starting to make a turn to start trusting God and trusting um, his message. The prayers of God's people, the ability to walk into someone's life actually gave us a platform of proclamation, word and deed. So Jesus gives us some instructions. All right, okay, Spencer, I'm ready. Let's be sent. All right, let's go. Let's take the world for Jesus. Okay, maybe that is you and you're ready to go. Well, let's pause that eagerness and say, okay, so what exactly are those instructions? So Jesus gives us some instructions. So if you're ready to go, and I hope we are, he says, uh, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are, are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. So what do we do first and foremost? We pray. This is what we do before any action before any trip, before any short-term missions, before you even leave your door, before you come into church, as you sit in church, you pray. Before you proclaim God's message, you pray. Before you walk in to touch someone for healing, you pray. Before you even engage someone at your work, you pray. Jesus sends the 72 and gives precise instructions, and the priority of prayer is paramount. The strategy is interesting here. What do we not need? We don't need better marketing. 
We don't need a better location. We don't need to send everyone to seminary. Instead, we simply need to pray. What's interesting about these 72, which is very different from the 12, we know the 12 and we know their names. We actually know church history where you track all of their lives, most of them ending up martyrs. The 72, though, they remain nameless. We don't know their jobs. We don't even know if they were called into ministry. But on this day, they felt sent. And as they were eager to go, they paused and they prayed. Why? Because prayer is a priority. That is our labor. We're going to hear about work. We're going to hear about labor. But just know, the heaviest thing for you and I to feel sent is actually on our knees. Some of you in here don't feel sent. Maybe it's because you haven't yet to cry out to the Lord for those who are far from him and far from community. I want you to feel that this morning. I want you to ask yourself, what is my purpose on planet Earth? Now, there's some of you in here, because I've heard your stories. It's amazing. You can't do anything but open up your mouth and engage people all around you with the glorious gifts of the gospel. Some of you are on the opposite side. Some of you are so discouraged because, Lord, I'm doing my part, but I'm not seeing any fruit whatsoever. So some of you need to get moving. Some of you may just need a little bit of encouragement. Just know that in our prayers, we will find this encouragement. And not to put salt in your wounds, let me tell you a story about Adoniram Judson. You don't know Adoniram because he lived a long time ago, but he was a missionary to this tiny little, uh, little town uh, in the Middle East. Adoniram worked his tail off day in and day out, working with people, working with a village. He had money from a missions organization. He was doing a great job. Day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. Not one, not two, not three, not five, but seven years in the same spot before Adoniram Judson saw his very first convert. But now we're writing books about him. What if he had gotten discouraged and he just left on year six and a half? I was like, well... And so there's some persistence as well, is that in our prayers we need encouragement. Jesus tells us that there is a harvest, doesn't he? He says that the harvest, there is pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. He tells us there's actually a field and there is a plowing and there are seeds and there's going to be plants and there's going to be a yield. And he tells us, I need you to understand this imagery. Jesus is heading, he's in the north and he's heading south. He's going directly to Jerusalem. And on his way, and we get five whole cities mentioned in this passage alone, but Jesus from the north going south, he's going through all of these little towns over and over. All of this is probably agrarian. And he says, I want you to start to see people like you see the fields. And I need you to see people like you need to understand that preparation has to happen. Patience need to happen. And yet, you can expect a yield. And so that the harvest is real. 
God's word will not return what? Void or empty. It always works. Maybe not in the way that we want it to, but it works. There's a man who was in college at McDonald's at breakfast. He ordered one biscuit and he was getting himself a soft drink. He's a kid. He's far from Jesus. He grew up in the religious south, so he knew about it, but he was not attending. He was very, very far from Jesus. A man walks up beside him, starts filling up Diet Coke as he's filling up Coke, looks at him square in the eyes, and he goes, are you going to church on Sunday? 19-year-old, looking at him. Are you going to church on Sunday and telling Jesus how much you love him? The 19-year-old goes, huh? And just walks away. This 19-year-old is now a 40-year-old. And he has given his life to Jesus. He's fostered some kids. He's gone to seminary. One person who he will never see ever again ask one crazy question. And the seed of the gospel got planted into that young man's heart on that day and changed his life. The harvest is there. God plans to gather a great harvest of souls of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Paul is on his missionary journeys. And before he goes to Corinth, the scriptures tell us that he's super discouraged. And the audible voice of God comes into Paul and he says, I know that you are discouraged. And God tells Paul explicitly, do not be afraid, for I have many in this city that are my people. Before you go, I just want you to be encouraged. There are many of those that are inside the city. And so God's sovereign plan has put you into a community that you belong. And he wants you there, both word and deed, over and over We live in the religious south. There's churches on every corner. We've heard it. But if you've spent any time with your coworkers, with your families, and you really pressed whether they are following Jesus wholeheartedly, you will quickly know that the religious south needs Jesus just as much as an unreached people group. I know that's hard to understand, but just start the conversation. You will be surprised. So he also tells us that there's laborers. It's not just the harvest, but pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do something, to send out laborers. There's also another piece to this equation. Not just the Lord, not just harvest, but laborers. Guess what? That's where you and I come in. Most of you in here would say that I am following Jesus. Most of you woke up this morning but didn't know what following Jesus actually meant. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's your praying and being faithful to him. Luke 10 gives us a little bit of an edge here to just our Bible study and prayer. He tells us that we are to become laborers. No named, never recognized laborers of Jesus. Regular, ordinary laborers to go out before Jesus and do the heavy lifting of him. And so one part encouragement and another part sober, really. That the harvest, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
So we understand that even though it's growing exponentially from Jesus to the 12 to the 72, it will never be enough. There will never be enough of us. Sure, we can all be mobilized today, but we will always be outnumbered, but that's okay because we have God on our side. Do you know that in this passage, Jesus calls himself Lord three times? He's not worried. He's not shaken. He knows, like he's told uh, Paul before he goes into Corinth, there are many that are going to come to know me. Your purpose on planet Earth is to truly to do it. Our church alone, there are many of those who are faithful patrons here that go out over and over and over, who have looked at chapter 10 and said, that's what I want to do. There are two families going to Yeehaw Brewery, one right after church and one on Sunday nights. Most Sundays, they just go, order, sit, be nice, but get to know the wait staff week after week after week. Some of you are walking Willow Springs Park, right? Just walking, engaging with your family, with those families that you engage with. Some of you have turned your workplaces into people on mission, where you have started Bible studies inside your businesses. Some of you have taken foreign exchange students and seen them come to know Jesus over and over and over, engaging students, engaging coworkers, being on mission. Do you feel sent? Do you feel like you understand the mission field is in front of you that you get to engage? Pray to God that he is sending you. I love the fact that these are no-name people just like you and I. All right, so that's the good part. Let's look at something else. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Part of Jesus, uh, Jesus' ministry is actually to be a truth teller. And part of telling the truth is to tell both the bad news and the good news. It's to make you feel sent and there you go. But part of his grace is to actually give you a firm understanding of what you are up against. That. I don't know if you know much about lambs and I don't know if you need to know much about wolves. But you need to know that those two are not compatible. One stronger, more fierce than the other. Okay? That's all you need to know. But Jesus, like, unashamedly says, you're the lambs in this situation. And they are wolves. Pray that the laborers will go out. Because the harvest is plenty. And now we know that laborers are few. This is the other indictment. That you are going to be weak. And you are going to be You're not going to have any influence. Instead, people are going to run all over you, but you are going to be in the midst of wolves. Look at that word, midst. What does that mean? Right in the middle. Surrounded by all sides. Having your flanks covered. Front, back, left, right. All of them in the midst of the wolves. Too many of us have made, oursel- made ourselves in our lives too insular. And we've pulled away from the center because we're afraid. Jesus tells us not to be afraid, but instead to 
pray earnestly to the Lord and find yourself somewhere in the midst of the wolves. This poor lamb got lost for six years. The farmer didn't know he was gone until he found him. It was like, I, mean, I think the only reason they knew how long he was gone is because they could weigh the wool. And I, it, when they shaved him, there were 60 pounds of wool on this poor sheep. He'd been gone for six years, untouched in the wilderness. I mean, he shouldn't survive, right? In fact, there is... Uh, there's like, there were marks like a wolf or something tried to get to him, but because he was so fluffy, they couldn't, he couldn't get bitten. I mean, he was impervious to pain. It was like Teflon. like things just kept bouncing off of him. I mean, this is a picture though, that it's possible. It shouldn't happen. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, looking like death. We got scars all over us, right? We haven't groomed in six years, but that's okay because the Lord is still the Lord. Not once, but twice, but three times in our path, in our passage. And so this lamb survived. And this lamb is here to encourage you. Maybe you're afraid. Because what if? Don't you know the dangers? It's the danger that makes you faithful. If you could buy your way out of this, if you could scheme your way into this, then it wouldn't be supernatural. The reason it's supernatural is that we're outnumbered, right? And we're overpowered. Outnumbered and overpowered, and yet we still win. We're on the winning side of an impossible task. Verse 17 wasn't in our passage, but I want you to look at it, underline it. I want you to memorize it. It's easy. And then when they returned, what was their expression? What was their emotion? How did they express themselves? With joy, outnumbered and overpowered. But Lord, you will not believe the stories that I have to tell you. The greatest adventure I've ever been on. Let me just tell you about Eric and John. And, and you just keep going over and over and over because we are on a supernatural, not a practical endeavor. Thus says the Lord. For 2,000 years later, we just continue to go on and on and on. I do think it's interesting that the bad news keeps on hitting. I don't want you to take anything right? Just go empty-handed. Here's what you've got. You've got the kingdom of God. That's what you've got. You've got the message of the king, and that's all you need. Right now, actually, let me back up. In Luke chapter 10, 10, Jesus was a miracle worker and a very impressive person, but he was not a king. He was a dirty carpenter from Galilee, but they were still to talk about the kingdom, and claimed Jesus as king, and he had no political power whatsoever. Here we are 2,000 years later. Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is now currently occupying the right hand of the Father. We worship the king, and he's proven himself over and over and over. Do you feel sent to tell others that the kingdom of God is near? Verse 18 
but you go with nothing except the gospel. There's no ulterior motives here. You just simply go. We know that you go into these contexts with no money bag and no knapsack, no sandals. I don't even want you to say anything while you're on the road. Just go into the towns and the villages. That's who I want you to talk to. And then you need to realize that some people are going to listen and some people are going to reject you. That's just the way the kingdom works. Is that you're going to go, you're going to be the faithful one, and they're not going to listen. Jesus is preparing you, little by little, in just this one little passage to give you the ingredients and the instruction of what you need to know to feel sent. Do you feel sent? And if not, what is holding you back? Jesus tells us to go with great fervor. To go because it truly is the greatest adventure of your life. And for those who have gone on mission, those who have lived their life with nothing but proclamation, they have stories to tell. And so, brothers and sisters, practically, do you trust God's provision for you? If you had nothing, right, and we've got plenty, but if, like, what are you going to go with? Are you going to trust him with the provisions that he has given you? Maybe you can sing, so sing. Maybe you can talk good, so talk good. Maybe you work at Eastman. Maybe you work in the school system. Then go there. He has provided a town for you to inhabit. Have you provided, trusted God with the provision that he has given you and the tools that he's given to engage there? Number two, application. How can you be an agent of peace and healing inside your community? I don't know the answer for you. But there is a community, there is a context that you inhabit. Can you start praying this prayer? That I can become an agent of change, peace, healing, proclamation. And then lastly, simply proclaim the gospel. The king is on the throne. Proclaim kingdom and the gospel to your neighbors, to the nations, and everywhere in between. Proclaim the gospel to your neighbors, the nations, and everywhere in between. This is the greatest adventure that any of us will ever be on. Why? Because Jesus says so, and he's never wrong. Let me pray for us. So King Jesus, you tell us not to take anything. You tell us that we are outnumbered. You tell us that we are going to um, engage with resistance, if not rejection, if not persecution for this message. And yet we still, like lambs, we continue to go. So Lord, I'm praying for those in here that needed gospel encouragement, who need boldness this morning who find themselves with some gifts and abilities that have laid dormant in their life, will you allow them to start picking those things up and engaging you in a real way?
God, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers. We pray for those that we hang out with. But more importantly, God, we pray for us as laborers. The God that we would see ways that we can engage their life practically. Engage their life in deeds and mercy ministry. And that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. But instead to use our voice in the context and the communities that we inhabit to tell of others that Jesus Christ is King. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so how do the God's people respond? We this morning we respond in gratitude that Jesus Christ gave us these words, that he lived the perfect life, that he lived the per- as the perfect missionary. He gave us a great example for us. And he even told us that our lives may end like his, and we too may be persecuted like his, and yet everything works out for the good. And so over and over, week in and week out, God's people come to the table where we look at two images, two images. One image being bread, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took one piece of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body given for you. This one picture of bread, the foundation of sustenance in everyone's life. And he says, this is my body given for you. New sustenance has arrived and it comes in the form of my broken body. The imagery doesn't stop. He then takes a chalice of wine, right? In my mind, he pours it a little bit for all of us to kind of see it because the symbolism goes from his body to his blood. And he says, this is the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. What your neighbors and your communities need is not a best friend, but their sins forgiven. And we know the place. And so week in and week out, we take of these elements to remind ourselves that we have been forgiven. But this morning, as forgiven people, we're also sent on mission. Amen? So go ahead and stand to your feet. Just know that there's two stations in the back, two stations in the front, and they are now open for your taking.